Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. What do you think? Uh... Aren't drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Grab a seat. Yes, that's what we're going to talk about. What is going on here? Something's kind of bugged me for a long time uh, reading scripture and always seeing that verse there. What in the world is Peter referring to? Why does he have to tell them? They're not drunk. I love the answer. What's the answer? It's only nine in the morning. Like if it was five o'clock, yeah, they'd be trashed right now. No. I mean, what's he doing? Isn't that funny? They're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. What is going on? So I've been really wondering like for a long time, like what, what exactly, why, I should say this, why does Luke put that in Acts? Why does he leave that there? You know what I mean? Like why does he choose to leave that there? It must be important. Yesterday, running through the park. Uh, down there to Lincoln Park Zoo, and it suddenly dawned on me. And we're going to talk about that. What were they thinking? Why does he think, why did people think they were drunk? Have you ever uh, had anybody say that to you? You got to be drunk? Did you do something, say something, and someone looks at you, man, are you drunk? I remember one time uh, a couple, uh, couple of months ago, or a couple of years ago, uh, it was a 4th of July party. People are right now thinking, like, he's talking about drunk right now in, on Sunday morning. Uh, 4th of July party, and um, just having a great time. A lot of people over. We, like St. James, like to hang out and enjoy God's blessings. And uh, I saw this PVC pipe, and I saw a bunch of bottle rockets, and I thought, those should go in the PVC pipe, and I'm going to hold on to it like a grenade launcher and launch it into my neighbor's yard. So that made sense to me. Uh, I was not, I was fine, by the way, but uh, I think maybe my wife, I was like, Joel, are you, you know, what's going on here? But for me, it was a very sober idea, actually, right? Does that sound like a good thing to do? Anyhow, right? She probably said, are you drunk? And I would say, no, I'm not. It's only, I don't know what it was, midnight or whatever, you know? Has anybody said that to you? Or have you ever said that to somebody else? You got to be drunk. That idea that you just presented, what you just said, are you been drinking? That's what's going on here. What were people doing? Why would they say that these guys, these disciples, why would they actually wonder if they had been drinking? Let's see what happens here in chapter 2. Let's look at it and grab your Bible on your phone or whatever. Chapter 2 of Acts or in the, in the bulletin. Luke says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost means 50. It's a Jewish holiday. It's a Greek for the holiday of the harvest from the Old Testament. One of the major holidays. And people would gather, they'd come to Jerusalem, and they would give thanks for the first fruits, like the first stuff that comes out of the garden. They would praise God for that. There would be a second harvest holiday later on in the summer. So it was a big deal. You had to go. And so people from all walks of life would come to Jerusalem to celebrate God's giving. And I think also not just in general God's providence, but also how he provided for them in the wilderness where there was nothing. It was scarce, and God, right, manna came down, quail, water from a rock. 
No matter what, God provides. And so God said, you're going to celebrate this. You're going to remember, I take care of you. That's what Pentecost was, pre what we're celebrating today, okay? So it's the day of Pentecost. They are the disciples, and Mary, actually, in chapter 1 we see this, and they come to Jerusalem. Why are they there? They're sitting in, what does it say? They are all together in one place. Why were they there? Ten days ago, 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, 40 is a great number in the Bible, Jesus ascends and he says, stay right here. Wait till you receive the promise that I've been telling you, the helper, the spirit to come upon you. Jesus told them, you need to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching, right? But he said, don't do it yet. Wait for this gift, the Spirit upon you, right? That's why they are there. So they're waiting there, and Luke says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Great movie, by the way, about the 60s uh, um, uh, folk uh, world in the 60s. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So the whole place is filled up with the Spirit and divided tongues as of fire. That's the best Luke can do to describe it. It sits on each one, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What would you do if you were filled with the Holy Spirit? What is a person filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, it sounds like, you know, if you've been down south, or maybe you've been from some churches, Pentecostal churches, you know, it seems like you would act crazy and do strange things. And, you know, what's the thing? You put your, your hand on somebody, you know, you've been healed, you know, or I'm giving you the spirit. And the person's slayed, they fall down. Anybody been in a church like that? We're not going to do that here. Uh, <laughs> when I do, uh, get rid of me. All right. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. What do they do? They start speaking in different languages. Not divine angel words in languages from Germany, from Arabia, uh, Persian, Greek, Roman. They're speaking in different languages. And then look what he says next. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And the reason why is they're there for the festival. And also important to know, for the last 700 years, the Jews had been dispersed. Assyria came and took over half of them and took them away up to northern what we call Syria. Babylon, we call Iraq, came and destroyed Jerusalem and took the people away. They came back, but then the Greeks under Alexander the Great came in and conquered Israel and took the people away. And so they began living in all sorts of areas in what we would call back then the Roman Empire, and they would learn different languages. And they grow up in that language, though they would still know Hebrew because they go to synagogues in those areas, but their regular language would be that, that current language in that area. They probably also would know Greek because that's how you did business. It was the lingua franca. It's what English is today for the Roman world. So they're all come to Jerusalem because of the festival of harvest and bounty. And Luke says they're all there. And as this sound, at the sound, the multitude came. So they must have noticed this. They came together, and they went to wherever these guys are, these disciples, and they're hearing all these different languages. 
And look what happens. They're bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, not because they were jumping around doing slaying the Spirit silliness, but because they were hearing these guys speak in their own language, and there were all different types of people there. They were amazed, and they said this. This is the first, they must be drunk. Are not all these who are speaking rednecks, hillbillies? Like, how do these guys know? They actually say Galileans, but that's what it would mean for Jerusalem. They're from Galilee. They only know one language there, or they probably know a couple. They know Hebrew, they know Aramaic, that's probably what they spoke, and, and Greek for commerce. But they're speaking all these specific languages, and they're from Galilee. Not only that, but Galilee, that's not a cat. There's no university there. There's no aspiration of academic excellence. They're wonderful, beautiful, salt of the earth, middle Americans. <laughs> How do they know all these languages all of a sudden? That's really what they mean by this, right? And that's where that first, they must be drunk. They would know all these different languages and how would they learn them so fast? And it amazes me that they, <laughs> with their southern accent, quite frankly, is how the Jerusalemites thought of them, know all these languages. And how is it, and then I love this, listen to this, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own, notice this word, native language, terrible translation, in the Greek, mother tongue. What I love about that is it's more intimate. The mother tongue. In other words, you learn a lot of languages in your life. You learn a lot of vocabulary. You get older and you have business, da-da-da. But imagine sitting on your mother's lap and she's speaking to you this motherly, lovingly words in your ears. Whatever language that was that she used, that's your intimate language. That's your home language. That's the language in your heart. And they were amazed because they're hearing all these wonderful things, not in a foreign language that you need to figure out and learn, but in their own language. Parthians and Medes, Etamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, that is non-Jews who were studying the Torah, Cretans and Arabians, I love to be called a Cretan, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Good job, Carl, in reading that. And all were amazed, and they are perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Vasistas. But others mocking said they must be drunk. Got to be drunk. To know these things, that's crazy, right? But how about bigger than that? You got to be drunk that you have learned my language so I may know this God. And maybe bigger than this, God's got to be drunk. That he cares so much about me that he learns my language and doesn't require me to learn his language. That he comes and speaks to me because he so much wants me to know the mighty works of God and wants to know there is a God and wants to know that I am loved by that God. 
that he has these disciples speak in the words I'm familiar with and the ways that I think. You gotta be drunk that God has that kind of time. That's what I think they're thinking. It's not just the fact that these guys are speaking different languages. And if you don't know those languages, it might sound drunk, but this is crazy. And I think the biggest craziness isn't these disciples, but it's God's ridiculous love for sinners. You got to be drunk. If you think about it, Christianity is the most insane, most ridiculous religion in the world. There's nothing like it, which to me is evidence of its veracity. Every other religion is the same. You learn its language. You go up its ladder. You figure out your righteousness. You go under discipleship and you learn this and you learn that. But only what I would say the true religion the reality of the universe, God, righteous, mighty, does not condemn sinners who do terrible things, and that's you and that's me, but instead loves, instead goes out of his way, works hard to find you where you're at in the midst of your sin and give you his forgiveness and his mercy. That's ridiculous, Uh, but it's far crazier than that. You got to be drunk to think that, but how about this? Here's a scheme that might only happen at 1 a.m. God, instead of making people who should pay the price for their bad things that they do, sins, iniquities, hurting, arguing, hate, all these things, let alone hating him and looking for anything else to be our God, no, no. Get this, he's going to come down and live among us. He's going to be born in a manger as a baby, vulnerable. He's going to hang out with the unhangoutable. He's going he's to go to this woman at the well, been married five times, now living with somebody, and he's not going to start throwing stones at her, but instead he is going to embrace and give her hope and forgiveness and welcome her into the kingdom of God. You gotta be drunk. He's going to find a tax collector who's doing well, very well for himself in this world, who's been thrown out of a society, lost friends because he's making some good money but he doesn't care. Jesus is gonna hang out with him instead of the person that thinks everything's fine and I'm good. You gotta be drunk, God. But it gets crazier. The mighty works of God, you know what the mightiest work of God is? It's not Noah's Ark, it's not creation, it's not the Red Sea, it's probably the biggest drunk idea in the whole history of the universe, and that is that God is actually going to take up a cross instead of you. (laughs) He is going to let people make fun of him, the one who created all things. That he is going to take the shame, and he's going to take the nails, and he's not going to say a thing, and he's actually going to die in the place of the very people that are nailing him there, even Pontius Pilate, even you and me. you got to be drunk if that's your idea, God. In fact, Peter says this. Jesus tells him this is what's going to happen. Peter takes him aside and basically rebukes him, right? I'll bet he said, you got to be drunk. This is ridiculous. God Almighty is supposed to be served and far away from us. 
and you're going to die on a cross. And yet he does for you. You got to be drunk. And yet he does and declares it is finished. You got to be drunk. You're going to forgive a murderer. You're going to let a murderer come into heaven. You got to be drunk. You're going to forgive that person who's lived their whole life in that lifestyle, which is amoral and wrong, da da da. You got to be crazy. That person that's never stepped their foot in church, they've done everything wrong, and they've sworn they hate God. You are still going to go after that person, and you want them to know there's peace and hope. You got to be drunk. You're going to chase after people that are worshiping a whole other God, and you still love them. Do you see what's going on here? It's crazy. God, you got to be drunk, and he is not. He is sober. And this is real, my friends. Just like me shooting bottle rockets out of PVC. Christ has died for you. Christ is risen. Christ has sought you out. He leaves the 99 for the one. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. He's an awful businessman. He's a terrible farmer. And sometimes he looks like a drunk God, how he's in love with people that do not love him. Just like you might be at night, right? I love you. <laughs> but he's sober, and it is real, and he loves you. Praise God. May we act like these people witnessing what God has done. Once in a while, we should say, God, you got to be drinking some new wine that you forgive me. One more thing, though, the Holy Spirit, as we celebrate, descends on these people full. It's a full sail on heaven right now. We are living in a new age where it is free, grace and hope. And he sends out his church, empowered by this drunk Holy Spirit, for us to do some crazy things, too. To start a school 100-something years ago, to put down a congregation to help the needy and the poor, but more especially to find sinners and broken down people and people living in their own prisons and not letting them just live and survive as their own, but we need to go to them. Jesus sends his church to be just as drunk as he is to the world. That's why we are here. We are not called to be sane people at St. James being very clever and very, or, or very uh, uh, just keeping to ourselves. We're called to be a little, look like we're drunk to the world, loving our enemies, forgiving someone seven times 70. As a church organization, we're called to be liberal in our giving of grace and our chasing down people in this city to make them know that there is hope, that there is a God. You know, last year, Hitting the pandemic, the council and I were sitting there looking at, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what the giving was going to be. We really didn't. Some are like, let's be very, very conservative, and it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong. Oh, that's good. Some others are like, let's go forward or whatever. But together, we came and said, we're going forward, and we're going to do ministry. In fact, now is the time to do it more than ever. And we passed this I think it was a hundred, it ended up being a hundred thousand dollars. If giving went down as we thought, maybe it would or whatever, hundred thousand dollars in the red we would be this year. But we've got to keep everything open and we got to keep on doing what we're supposed to be doing. And people might have said, you got to be drunk to pass something like that, thinking maybe you're not going to have that much money coming in. And this past week, we learned that we probably are going to end with 75, 100 over in the black. 
Isn't that crazy? I want this congregation to, I'm not saying being absolutely silly, Brett, <laughs> but kind of a little bit drunk, like we're going to spend this money for a human being? We're going to do anything we can so someone may know there's grace and hope and peace? We're going to keep the school open? We're going to keep on doing services? Yeah. Because that's our God. He's crazy in love with people. He does not give up on people. He leaves the 99 to find the one, and we do the same. May this year we be kind of a look-like-we're-drunk church (laughs) and our absolute love for others, our forgiveness for others, and our dreaming that this whole city knows there is a God and that God loves them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, have our new...